Well, hey there. I'm Lauren Dimmitt Waters, and I'm a New York City-based blogger and influencer who's been covering beauty, style, and lifestyle for what seems like forever. But now I'm a woman in midlife who wants to discover all of the secrets to growing younger. I'm ready to explore topics that deal with health and anti-aging, especially when it comes to beauty, fashion, wellness, and longevity. I'll find the foremost experts to unearth what's new, what works, and even what you shouldn't waste your money on. I'm on the hunt for the latest and greatest discoveries and strategies to help us all get through this journey called life with a little humor and a lot of attitude. I want to keep fighting the fight so we can all grow old ungracefully. So welcome to Beauty is a Bitch. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of Beauty is a Bitch. My guest, well, we're going to talk about gut health. So my guest today is Bonnie Weisner. She is a nutritionist and well-known digestive health expert. She has helped hundreds of people all over the world get to the bottom of their chronic digestive issues so that they can live their lives without the discomfort, embarrassment, and inconvenience of persistent symptoms like chronic constipation, gas, bloating, and heartburn. In her clinical practice, she helps clients to discover a healthy balance that is right for them. She believes in the power of food to help optimize our health and improve the symptoms of disease and illness by addressing the root cause. She helps clients by developing sustainable, realistic nutrition and lifestyle plans based on their individual needs. So happy to have you, Bonnie. How are you? Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. Thank you. Oh, good. I'm so excited. I mean, just because I think there's so much information about gut health now, and it is so confusing. So can I just jump into my first question? Absolutely. Let's I'm go. Dying again. Let's go. We've got a lot here. Okay. So I have had so many women tell me they're confused about gut health, as in they don't really understand it. Do you have like a Cliff Notes version or the basics that we need to know? Um, like just I, cut and dry. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I have <laughs> a Cliff Notes version. However, in summary... It's a, it is a, it's almost unfortunate that it's, a, it's such a hot button topic these days. Mm-hmm. But I think for the women um, in our sphere, the women that you speak to, the women that I speak to, part of the reason for that is because um, women experience an increase in digestive symptoms as we get older. So it becomes very top of mind. And uh, alongside of that, we know that it's become a little trendy as a topic. Um, right. But I think that's why right? Because of the, mm-hmm. the space that we exist in. Um, the other thing is that, you know, em- research being what it is, emerging research is actually defining or um, kind of contextualizing this as a very important connection to overall health. So how would I define right. gut health? Gut health mm-hmm. is really, um, I guess, some things we would never see with our naked eye, kind of like the vitality of our microbiome, which is really just a collection of bacteria in our gut that suggests whether we are in balance or out of balance. In in the everyday sense, though, I consider, um, you know, one of the things to sort of uh, identify as good or maybe not good, but healthy versus maybe problematic is I'm a strong believer that somebody should be, for example, having a poop every day or every other day at least, right? Truly, I'm right. a strong believe that we should be able to have a healthy bowel movement every day. And frankly, for everyone listening, you know, there's nothing like that cannot be underestimated or overestimated. There's nothing like a good solid poop every day. So I don't know if that answers your question exactly, but it does. It does. So 
why now since I speak to women in midlife, yeah. why is gut health important as we age? I think it's important at every age. It's particularly important as we age because if your gut is in balance, it helps with uh, it helps you digest. If you can digest well, then it helps you have um, better access to nutrients that we need as we get older, right? We know that as we get older, similar to any machine, a body does sort of start to diminish in terms of capacity of what it's able to produce, absorb, et cetera, right? Like the best example for that would be women who, and I don't want to go down this sort of hole, but like women who, you know, are often subject to um, calcium deficiency, or if you want to even go into a different direction, you know, something like um, osteoporosis, Porosis because of that, right? So those are things that happen. There are aging conditions, and it's because our body loses access to specific nutrients as we get older. So right. the reason why um, I think it's so important to pay attention to digestion capacity is because you want to optimize digestion so that you have access to as many nutrients as possible. Assuming you know you're obviously having or um, trying to have a good diet, right? Like a wholesome diet. Okay. okay. So everything always leads to diet. I think we're learning that in midlife, particularly their days of eating terribly when you're younger are done for the most part. I agree. For the I most agree. Part. Extremes of any kind seem to be difficult at right. this stage of life. Right. And I yeah. think that, um, I think that that's the other thing with digestion and this is like a really something along a more serious track, I would say. People who struggle, who really have issues like irritable bowel syndrome, um, ongoing chronic issues, not just issues that have necessarily arrived in midlife, or even if they have, unfortunately, the paradigm, the current paradigm has everything to do with food, everything to do with elimination, in fact. And again, if you think of that, connect the dots between what you and I were just saying, it's like, how do you go through elimination and assume you're going to have access to enough resources to support the aging process, as we just talked about, in terms of you know mm-hmm. osteoporosis and things? So I'm a I'm this is like an anti piece for me. Like I'm not into um, only relying on the food piece or particularly the elimination piece for to improve digestive capacity. And to be clear about that, I think everyone knows we're talking about you know, all the the low FODMAP diet, for example, there's different strategies that involve food elimination that are really the biggest conversations if we're talking about that trendy topic of digestion. And it leads a lot of people, particularly women, down a path of elimination and frankly, ultimately food fear. And this is not good for digestion either. So yeah. I'm a firm believer that, you know, I can't eat the way I used to but I still enjoy those things, just not as often and not as much. Yeah, moderation right? and not, look, is key right. and dietary enhancement right. is key when it comes to optimizing the way our digestive system functions. Because like every other body part, it needs access to, as I said, specific nutrients to do its job. Right. Um, but to your point, um, you know, one of my favorite expressions is the portion is the poison, right? So Oh, I like that. Yeah. So for example, even if you're talking about people who aren't necessarily, obviously, if you have celiac disease, as an example, then you need to completely avoid gluten, right? But if you have some digestive issues, very often we will look at gluten 
um, to reducing wheat consumption and things like that. And really, again, that lends itself to the conversation around the portion and the poison. And I'm a strong, strong advocate of that, as well as a dietary um, strategy, I guess. I like that dietary strategy because it's going to be different for all of us. hundred you know? percent. And, and I think that sometimes you're right. Food fear, it happens. i see it so much or somebody that's so restrictive. I don't know how they're enjoying life. Yeah, I know. No, it's very, very like, stressful and not right. only mentally stressful, but it's systemically right. stressful, which is a problem. And you're right. It's like, that's because it's all, again, if you, you were asking, you know, what, what's the most important thing? For people to why is digestion so important? It's important to access quality information because otherwise, Google's great and we all use it. But the reality is that's where th- those are the things we find because when somebody is going through a difficult, if we're talking about you know people who are struggling through the issues you you mentioned at the top, the bloating, the constipation, and uh, all of those daily chronic issues. They're very problematic. They're uncomfortable. They're embarrassing, right? The smelly gas is so embarrassing. The unpredictability of when you need to go to the bathroom can be awkward and embarrassing. People, there's a statistic. I don't know if you know this. People who struggle with digestive issues, and again, a high percentage of these people in quotation marks are females, right? People who struggle Mm -hmm. with these issues miss, um, on average, if you were to count it up, this is based on an excellent study, 73 days out of their life. Really? Yeah, so they're missing work or sorry, occasions in their life. So they're missing work. They're missing, um, you know, family functions, weddings, you name it. And people are not attending those things wow. when things are so unpredictable and uncomfortable for them. So why I'm, why I went there is just, we were talking about, um, you know, what somebody should or shouldn't necessarily pay attention to. So for the food piece, we lead ourselves down the restrictive path because anybody who's struggling, obviously it feels like what logically what you're eating is causing the problem, right? That's a natural thing to assume. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's not actually even the case. And I really think this is an important point. So it's not really what you're eating. If you have digestive incapacity or diminished capacity with respect to digestion, it can be anything. And that's why I'll have clients say, you know, Bonnie, I had quinoa on Tuesday and I was in the bathroom for four hours. And then I had quinoa 10 days <laughs> later and all was good. It's because that's not actually what the root of the issue is. Right. That was something else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes total sense. So let me ask you this. What are the signs you have a bad gut? And conversely, what are the signs you have a healthy gut? Okay. So I think the biggest sign that you have a healthy gut is to mm-hmm. um, think about how often you are having a bowel movement. So I speak with women all the time who have always, even in youth, had, let's say, not more than one bowel movement a week, <laughs> right? And it's uncomfortable oh. and they're wondering oh, wow. why they're bloated. Obviously, that's why you're bloated or one reason. Because they're full yes, of poop. Yes, you are full of poop. <laughs> I had a conversation with a woman last night and that's what we were joking about. But um, that right. to me is one of the biggest signs of, how things are going. Because as I said, you really should be, in my opinion, having at least one bowel movement, a healthy bowel movement a day. Also the quality of your poop, you know, is it, is it often soft? Is it hard? Is it like hard to pass? Like all of those things are, I think the most obvious Mm -hmm. signs of, um, of, of 
of vitality in terms of digestion. Um, other good signs since I started there are um, appetite and sleep, right? So what's your appetite like? Are you hungry all the time? If you're hungry all the time, a lot of women who can't figure out even the weight management piece don't realize that part of it connects to their digestive issues. Because again, if you're not digesting well, you could eat all the food in the world, but you're not necessarily um, absorbing the nutrient values that you need in the nutrients, right time. Right. So that's, you know, another, um, you know, if your appetite is in check, your weight is fairly managed. Those are good signs a lot of the time. Um, people also don't realize that sleep patterns could actually connect to optimal digestion. So both as a good and a bad. So if you're not sleeping well, um, this could be due to digestive issues. But if you're not sleeping well, this could also cause digestive issues. Because well, you eat terribly because, when you're sometimes when you're yeah, exhausted. A lot, of, yeah. Again, our body requires the breakdown of specific nutrients to do everything, right? right. So, um, so uh, on the signs of impaired digestion, um, a lot of times people don't realize that things that are extraneous to our, you know, digestive area are actually signs of impaired digestion. So this can be anything from skin eruptions, meaning things like, you know, eczema to acne even, right? Um, or just breakouts in general, um, foggy head or headaches, migraines um, could be connected to a digestive issue. Um, what else? Mood imbalances. Oh my goodness. Um, definitely mood imbalances. There's a tremendous connection between the gut and the brain. And so oftentimes, um, you know, depression, anxiety could be connected to impaired digestion as well. And then the obvious things like the, so bloating is not a problem if you have it, you know, once in a while, or even a couple of times a week, right. you do bloat from certain foods. We know that. But if you're somebody who's bloated all the time, you know, you wake up bloated or you wake up fine. And by the end of the day, you look like you're five months pregnant every single day or more often than not, that's an issue. We talked about um, bowel movement. Right. So if you're constipated, obviously, yeah, that's, that's an, issue an issue as well. Right. So you let me ask this anti-inflammatory diet, because a lot of what you're talking about sounds, what are your thoughts on an anti-inflammatory um, diet? Well, it depends how you define it. So my view of that is okay. there are foods that we know specifically um, promote, um, reduce inflammation, sorry, or promote inflammation, right? Mm -hmm. So I think an anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. diet is actually just a good general diet strategy for everybody. Right. And my right. favorite um, version, I guess, or um, execution of that, I think would be probably the Mediterranean diet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I agree. that, yeah. And I think yeah. that for women in our age category also, as I mentioned earlier, we know that um, there's like so much research every day that's coming up between, for example, the connection of menopause and gut health, right? And we know that a change right, in hormones right. could affect, let's say, our gut microbiome, the composition of bacteria in your gut. And the composition of bacteria in your gut contributes to things like inflammation, right? So I do think- Right. Yes. That's why yeah, I was wondering so I what the link was. Think right. that an anti-inflammatory diet um, could be very useful. So for anyone who's not familiar with just the general um, points around what an anti-inflammatory diet might be, 
It is a lower glycemic diet. So, you know, it wouldn't involve a lot of certainly not added sugars, um, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. complex carbs. So carbohydrates that are very um, rich in fiber versus things that break down to sugar quickly, like wheat, for example. Um, yeah. Right. Bread, good, right. Right. Um, density of like healthy fats, you know, so having things like um, fish and omegas like and quacks and things like that in your diet could be very helpful. Um, yeah. So anyway, those are just like some key points to an anti-inflammatory diet. Also, right. and this really connects to the, the digestive capacity piece. So the reason that when you Google, you know, what's the best diet, what should I do to, if I have IBS, whatever, and you end up in the elimination phase is this, and I'm going to try and simplify it, but this is really important speaking of inflammation. So if you have a lack of capacity, so that means, let's say you're trying to, you you know, you have problem digesting foods. You don't know where the problem is, but you have an issue digesting foods, which is demonstrating itself via Mm -hmm. all of these symptoms we discussed, right? Part of the problem is that as you ingest food, you might not have, for example, enough stomach acid to break it down, or you might not have enough Um, digestive enzymes that are being secreted in the right amount of time. And so if that happens, once things travel through your system and if they get into your bloodstream, um, when they're not fully broken down, that causes um, an immune response. And the immune response creates inflammation. So that's another connection. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. And like dairy, I know dairy is not, is very frowned upon on an anti-inflammatory diet. Which is hard for us Absolutely. cheese lovers. You know why I think I know. that is? I mean, it's a dairy is a huge, huge mark, right? Because a lot of people do have problems with it, right. um, or that they, they think they do, and and also it definitely is reliant on you know enzyme and having enough um, you know enzyme support, which is why a lot of people become lactose intolerant. But if you think of it, dairy is such a North American lazy protein. Like we turn to dairy so quickly. And I think it is, goes back to the portion and poison question mark. Right. Okay. Okay. I like that. Yeah. We we do rely a lot on dairy. So what mistakes do people with gut issues commonly make and what should they be doing instead? That's a good question. Um, You know, Everybody's doing their best, right? And trying based on the information that's available mm-hmm. to them. In my opinion, um, without realizing it, the biggest mistake that people make is continuing to eliminate foods from their diet because you end up with, again, as I said, I can't stress it enough, not enough resources to actually build a healthy constitution, right? And that's what our body requires. So that is Got by it. and far, like far away, the biggest mistake, uh, very unknowingly and very understandably that people make. I would say um, the second mistake is thinking that there's some sort of, um, and I say this respectfully because I have a history of Crohn's disease, so I know what it's like to be in the state of a flare-up. And believe me, you want a quick fix. (laughs) When you're uncomfortable, you want a quick fix. But this is really, uh, you know, in my practice, I mean, for example, and again, anyone who's really knowledgeable about this area could probably tout the same information. My clients at the end of a process we go through end up by and large around probably about 80% of people end up resolved, right? I've never seen somebody do that just paying attention to the food piece alone. So because of 
the connection between stress and digestion. For example, there's a lot of lifestyle factors that have nothing to do with food that very, very directly and intimately affect digestion. And stress, for example, would be one of them. So not undertaking uh, or seriously taking a stress management strategy under wing is another mistake that people make. And the problem is when you're going through it, as I mentioned, I can easily relate to the acute um, discomfort in that state, that in itself is stressful, right? So it's like a bit of a quagmire, but that's another mistake. And the third mistake is um, I would not endeavor to fix my toilet on my own if it was broken because I have absolutely no idea what makes my toilet function. And the third mistake is people genuinely wait way, way, way too long to access credible help and stay on things Mm. like protocols they put themselves on, like the low FODMAP diet for way too long. Um, You know, these things are typically, even even the way that I approach this, I do have um, an elimination period for certain allergenic foods, for example, as part of my approach, but it's an eight-week process, no longer, right? And so the reintroduction phase is as important as the elimination stuff. Well, yeah, because then you—that's how you figure out what's really bothering. Hundred percent, yes, and also, right, um, right, relying more on um, fortifying and improving digestive capacity than anything else, right? And there's so many things that we need to do. It's a layered approach. There's a lot of little things we have to be consistent at. And to be fair, because of the example I even gave you earlier around how food restriction or taking out certain foods, it's like so annoying because I hear this every day, right? One day X food drives me bonkers and puts me into the bathroom for hours and makes me so uncomfortable. And like three weeks later, I can have it without any incident. It's so frustrating. So we don't even get positive reinforcement from the effort that we're making. Yeah, and our bodies telling Correct. us, mix, yeah. giving us mix, mix, signals. Excuse me. Right, uh, that can be very confusing. And I think too that maybe instead of uh, going to Doctor WebMD and trying to do your own research, if you're not a doctor, maybe consult yeah. a professional. Yeah. I don't know what I, it's I like in the states. My... I'm in Canada. I mean, I I have a lot of clients in the states, mm-hmm. so I know that un- unless you um, head into maybe a functional direction, because this is a functional issue, right? Um, it's not a disease, yes, thank goodness, right. um, the, the type of thing we're talking about today. So I right. think that um, conventionally, this happens all the time here, right? From a family doctor's office, right into a gastroenterology unit. For the most part, if you don't have something that is medically treatable, and then we're grateful for that, of course, but if you don't, you're kind of left to your own devices. They'll literally hand you, this is like a classic quote, but they'll literally hand you a crumpled piece of paper and say, here, follow this FODMAP diet, which by the way, for people listening, if you've done it, you know, is literally the most complicated, confusing, and restrictive regime that one can follow, I think. I understand the research behind it. It can be very beneficial if it's done correctly, but most people are led to their own devices, as you said, as opposed to getting guidance and oversight. Well, don't you also think conventional medicine, they they might just throw a pill at you again for that quick fix, yeah. but you're not, you're just yeah. kind of masking well, Yeah, the and you know what? I used to be resentful, and- not resentful, but I used to be like, you know what I'm saying, like kind of critical of that. And now 
I've, mm-hmm. as, as a practitioner, I've sort of come to the place where this is what I'm saying. I would never fix my toilet by myself. I'm not a toilet expert. I'm not a plumber, right? Right. Like I've come to the place where I think it's okay for my doctor, let's say, to not understand all the details of this because there are people like me or other people like me who actually do. And then it's a question of access because it's, 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 um, it's like if you back it up to lifestyle practices and nutrition, sound nutrition from the get-go, which is where I think our medical professionals should start, right? You would never get to the point where you needed yes, to have somebody yes. fixing this. Yeah. Or fixing it. Right. Yeah. Right. I got, right, right. No, I see that. And it's sort of confusing. I, I myself have, have, I have a general practitioner and then I also have a functional medicine doctor. Yeah. So I do both. But, you know, sadly, at least here in the States, if you go the functional medicine route, yeah, you're paying out Canada, of pocket for the most part. It's um, so, really unusual to find um, functional uh, medical practitioners. There's actually a designation yeah. that MDs can get called lifestyle medicine. And it's much more prevalent in the States. In Canada, there's very right. few practitioners like that. Hmm. Okay. So let's move on to talking about food. What foods help the gut heal? And what foods are good for the gut if your gut's okay, but you just want to eat in that mindful way? So um, So healing and and prevention, you don't need to heal. You're, You're good. Prevention, right? Okay, prevention. So that would be let's prevention. start with that's prevention the word. piece. <laughs> um, that, I okay. mean, or you know, the proactive piece. Let's say <laughs> it's like almost nice. And um, so, All right, sure. From, I think, like I said, I honestly do think that the um, uh, Mediterranean diet, kind of anti-inflammatory approach, is much mm-hmm. more sound than a standard North American diet, right? So. I don't like these catchphrases, but, you know, a whole foods diet, um, relying less on packaged and takeout foods. And the reason for that is um, packaged foods, there was a study done in Canada. I'm sure it's the same in the States because, for example, here, the statistics are one in three adults actually has either prediabetes or diabetes, right? So it's likely the same in the States. So that is because we have so much added sugar in our daily diet. and so like literally two thirds of all packaged foods in a Canadian study were shown to have added sugar. Okay. So relying on more home cooked meals um, or at least foods that you know what's Mm -hmm. in them um, is, is an excellent strategy. Um, But in terms of balancing blood sugar, which I think is the most critical um, thing to do, it would be making sure to have complete meals. So having protein, carbs, and fat as every part of your meal, as opposed to, I'm just going to grab a muffin for breakfast or, you know, those types of things. Um, right, and meal right. skipping also isn't great for blood sugar balance. So I think that's another strategy, but in terms of foods that are good for everyday health, I think having adequate sources of protein, one of the best things that you could do for your gut. So I'll, I'll straddle this because I think this helps for everybody. We notably have too little dietary fiber in a standard North American diet. Oh my God. I knew you were, so were going to say fiber. Challenge yourself. Okay. Do this. People think <laughs> it's so hard. I've done it I, with a group of about 300 people recently in my Facebook group. Challenge yourself to having 
um, 30 different plants in a week. It sounds so difficult. It's the easiest thing to do. And it is the best dietary strategy, literally, in my opinion. So for example, again, I'm going to say this because I know people are like 30 plants, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a vegetarian. You don't have to be a vegetarian. I'm not, I'm not advocating for that, but 30 plants could look like breakfast, for example, a, a bowl of oatmeal with um, some pumpkin seeds, some chia seeds, some hemp hearts, um, a dollop of nut butter. We're up to five plants so far, right? Um, um, what else? <laughs> I can't think right now. But like putting, I mean, I've gotten up to 10 <laughs> in a bowl of oatmeal, right? Oh, I know. Some berry, berries. Wow. Yeah. Right? Oatmeal is great. Um, oh, berries. I was going to say berries. Great. Seeds. Um, right. Um, whatever, like almonds, sliced almonds. So you're saying things that come from plants, yeah. not just yeah. plants. So, you're not yeah. just saying so green leafy the, vegetables or whatever grains, you're saying. Don't okay. always rely on wheat. Have different types right. of grains. Have, you know, rye bread, whatever, like all the different types. So multigrain bread is an excellent right. choice for that reason, for example. Um, that's an amazing, amazing strategy. Right. Staying hydrated, that's one of the things that we do. Again, it's great for essential to gut health, but it's also good for our overall well-being. And most people definitely are not getting the standard six to eight full glasses of water a day. We're relying on coffee. We think we're hydrating ourselves with pops, pops and things like that. So that's no. um, phenomenal. Specific strategy. Um, again, reduce yeah. quantities of certain things. So be mindful of the type of protein you're getting. Try and have fish a few times a week. Um, try not to make dairy the star of the show in like three quarters of your meal, you know, those types of things. Always have protein, I say. Right. Well, well cut the mac and cheese. Maybe not all the time. You know, maybe not every day. Um, right. But you, you said something earlier to me before we got, yeah. you said the portion is the poison. A hundred. So that's kind of what you're saying here. Yeah, so definitely. keep it small. Um, right. And then in terms of, oops, sorry, in terms of foods that um, you want to lean into specifically to support your gut, it's similar to everything I just said. And there's reason yeah. why, like specific reasons why maintaining a low glycemic diet is important for gut health. We know that a high glycemic environment actually disturbs not only the microbiotic environment, but actually um, leads to things like what is colloquially referred to as leaky gut. So it actually um, affects in a negative way the gut lining, which isn't good for absorption. Well, can you explain what leaky gut is? um, Intestinal tract is really, it's meant to be permeable, right? Because it lets um, nutrients in once they've been broken down. And it also keeps protects us. It's really our, 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 the intestinal barrier is our biggest source of protection from the outside world. So it literally protects things from going into our bloodstream that should not, right? Toxins and things like that. So, um, which get eliminated obviously in our favorite subject, poop. But, um, <laughs> but leaky gut um, can happen from, it can, you can ha- it's such a colloquial term, like it's such a trendy again term, but what it means, it is a real thing. What right. it means is your gut is hyperpermeable. So that's not a good state to be in. And the way you get to that point mm. could be from a number of contributors, stress, so metabolites from stress, medications. Um, so if you, let's say, do have um, achy joints or 
um, muscle aches because you're working out a lot or whatever the case may be. Let's say you're relying, you have an injury, a long-term injury, and you're relying on Tylenol all the time. That can actually erode the gut lining over a period of time. Um, sugar, as I mentioned, a high glycemic um, environment in your blood over time can erode the gut environment. So it's hyperpermeability actually leads to food intolerant reactions because it links back to what I said earlier about things going into your bloodstream before they're ready to do so, right? Before they're broken down in a format that your immune right. system recognizes. So it's yeah. basically yeah. a gatekeeper and it's, it's overflowing. Yeah, exactly. It can't protect you anymore. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay. So what are the, let's say the top three things that we can be doing to improve our gut health starting I today? Think the top thing that people can do to improve their gut health is first of all, be observant around what it is right now. So pay attention to, you know, people don't link headaches constant. I'm always headachey. Like, is it, you know, did the temperature change? Like all these things, right? Pay attention, maybe take a week or two and right. literally just log, um, you know, what you're eating, what, what you're doing, what your symptoms are, if you're someone who has symptoms um, and seeing if you see any patterns, that's the first thing. Cause we're not even starting from a place where we know what we normally feel like when we head into improvements, right? Right. Like yeah. being so a lot of us try are and get tuned. tuned to what you I understand. Are. Right. Um, then practically speaking, I think that this, the strategy that I, um, there's two things from a food perspective. One is variety. So if you're a person, for example, who's always having the same breakfast day after day, so many of us do, right? Like it's like obviously a pattern and whatever. It's easy. Just as it's an easy. example, right. try and have at least right. three different breakfasts in a week because food variety is one of the keys to a really vibrant gut microbiome. The bacteria in our body rely on variety. Hmm. Um, the other thing is that fiber piece. Most of us we know are not getting enough fiber in our diet. So just challenge yourself, play a game. Try and have at least 30 plant-based foods. And again, we're not talking about leafy greens only. We're talking about nuts and seeds and grains and different, just variety for a few weeks. I had one woman, um, again, it wasn't even a client of mine. It was somebody who's in a Facebook group that I run, a free Facebook group, who tried this for a couple of weeks. This was our challenge in January. And she couldn't believe the difference in how she felt and how her bowels started moving more regularly and things like that. It doesn't always have to be complicated is what I guess I'm saying. Um, those are three things that I would say are really important. Right. And it probably wasn't even hard for her to do it. And she wasn't, but she wasn't cognizant exactly. of it until. Exactly. You, it's not as she hard was. as it sounds. Right? I know it sounds I mean, hard. 30 plant. And the other thing is like, realistically, people then, you know, people who live alone, for example, will think, I don't want to go to the grocery store and buy like you know, all these vegetables or whatever that are going to go bad. And then, you know, the strategy for that is just to rely on frozen, for example. Right, right. And, you know, that brings up something else interesting, because now you're saying, essentially, <clears throat> yeah. shop the perimeter of the store. But people right now are tightening their belts a bit, and they're trying to find economical ways to feed their family or whatever. And that sometimes goes by the wayside. You know, let's be honest, shopping at Whole yeah. Foods all the time is very expensive. So 
what are some things that you think we could do or eat that are healthy for us that don't break the bank? You know, doesn't have to be a you know a complete. When yeah, I say no, whole I foods it. diet, Absolutely. I mean shopping at all. Yeah, which is nice, but not necessarily right. privileged for sure. Right? I agree. So the the one right. example yes. I just gave yes. really there's abs- people think who people who endeavored to do healthier things for themselves often will think that um, buying frozen produce or even frozen fruits thrown into smoothies isn't as healthy as buying fresh. That's actually not at all true. In fact, you can make an argument for the opposite because they're flash frozen. So they're actually frozen at their peak nutrient status. Um, so that's oh, probably okay. like numero uno. Um in terms of other things, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, your meals don't really have to be very complicated, right? They can be pretty simple. So opening up a can of tuna or chickpeas even as a can and throwing it onto a salad is actually very nutritious also. And we don't we don't have to be fancy, you know, like I'll give you an example. So this is an inexpensive snack or breakfast or whatever you want it to be and delicious. So you take um, a cucumber. Cucumbers are not expensive and you just, and they're hydrating Mm -hmm. and everything else. Right. And you just take half of an English cucumber and slice it into like 10 slices or whatever. And then you take something like if you have tuna lying around, you could throw tuna on top of it. That's like a very filling meal, healthy meal, low, low carb, healthy meal. Um, Or you could do like a dollop of, if you like smoked salmon, even you could do, or, or again, with the tuna, a little bit of avocado on each piece of cucumber. Like, it's such a, it, it's such a simple Make it like a cracker, like a cracker. And it's so healthy. Right. Yeah. So funny. Yeah. I've been yeah, doing that for great. years. Isn't that funny? I buy cucumber. I eat it like, like a cracker. Yeah. And you know, my purpose in saying that isn't like to vilify crackers wow. or anything else, but just because you ask like cucumbers, so inexpensive, no, no. right? Um, yeah. Right. Okay. I like that. Uh, okay. So wait, you told me a really interesting statistic when we were, before we started Yeah, we record. were talking you about share that? women, of course, at our stage of life and digestive issues. And one of the things that I came across a few years ago that I found was so interesting as a statistic, not surprising, but interesting, is that um, the average population we know, for example, for people who have irritable bowel syndrome or chronic digestive issues runs at about 11 to 13% of the average population. When you look at those numbers for women in the peri and menopausal age group, it can go up to as high as 38%, which is a huge jump. And the reason for that, again, hormones obviously affect um, digestion. They affect our microbiome, um, unfortunately, to the negative. So it just means, and mm-hmm. also at this stage of life, we're super mm-hmm. stressed and stress has a tremendous impact on digestion and we're not sleeping. And we're not as sleeping well. as well. So we're not sleeping as well. Right. To the basics, right. stay hydrated. Really, you know, we complain about our sleep because we're busy, right? We're the busiest people in the world. So we always have to jam so much into our everyday. But if you genuinely want to figure out your sleep, and this was my biggest issue in perimenopause, perimenopause, my sleep was disrupted because I was waking up in a heightened anxious state for no reason. Like there wasn't anything, it was hormonal. And so it took me nearly two years to figure out mm-hmm. that I had to change or adjust the type of exercise during the day. 
to actually help with my sleep. You know, talk mm-hmm. to people about reducing caffeine at this stage. And that's like, ah, you know, you have to be wearing like armor to have that conversation with someone. But these are things that if you genuinely <laughs> want to see some of these symptoms in midlife change or reduce to have a better quality of life, we have to sort of pay attention to these things. And they're, they're simple, but I know they're not easy. So you said something to me earlier, you said, and this is before we hit record. Uh, sorry, <laughs> we did speak a little bit before, um, but I took notes. So we would say it again. The magic is in the small steps you take every day, right? As yeah. I, I think that's what you wanted yeah. probably to yeah. wrap it up with or leave us with. So it's not like a, you got to stop eating everything today. Yeah. We've, we've the magic is in the small steps the small because steps. the cliche is, but it's true. You're not what you do sometimes. You're what you do consistently all the time. And it's really important for people who are trying to target this issue when it's problematic for them. Because again, like I said, you'll try something extreme for a couple of weeks and it doesn't work and you abandon ship, right? And you never get to the bottom of what's happening. If you pay attention to the little things day by day, some of the things we talked about during this episode, for example, um, just be consistent. And yeah, the small steps take us far. That's amazing. So I wanted to mention that Bonnie is the creator of the Shift Your Gut Therapy Method. It's a professionally designed comprehensive group program that's reflective of nearly a decade of clinical experience. Uh, The Shift Your Gut Therapy Method is a 12-week comprehensive process that combines personalized approach to understanding a patient's gut health with group support and education. So uh, I'm going to leave in the show notes how to get in touch with all of this, your Facebook group, your website, your email, uh, anything else you want to add, and then we will wrap it up. But what would you like to add before that? I don't did I leave did. anything Thank out? You. This has been a really great, a really great chat. Um, <laughs> just with respect to anybody who's listening, who, you know, is wondering if they're doing something wrong or what they could be doing differently. Um, I, I consider myself a credible source and I do have a free Facebook group. If you want to just get your feet wet and get introduced to me. I share a lot of information there. We have, um, you know, um, organized challenges, like things that help people stay motivated um, and stay on top of things. So I think that's a good place Mm -hmm. to start if you'd like to meet me and sort of see what um, looking after this with an expert is really like. I'll leave the link here. It's it's, the Facebook group is called Shift Into Healthy Habits, correct? Yeah, Okay. thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. This oh is, we God. didn't talk well, about farting. Who isn't farting <laughs> <laughs> at our stage of life? <laughs> right. Okay. I thought I thought we might bust into that, but we did talk about poop. So okay. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out a lot. I have a new pro-aging podcast bi-weekly, so please contact Lauren at fountainof30.com for sponsorship opportunities. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here, Bonnie. Thanks Thanks for listening, and be sure to eat a variety of food. It's good for your gut. Take care, everybody. Until next time, be well.